Welcome to Shatterproof. I'm your host, Todd Callahan. As we begin to exit 2021, I don't know about you, but I'm looking very forward to a brand new year in 2022. As I look back on everything that God has done over the past year, I'm so grateful because he's, he's expanded our faith. He's tested us in areas that we necessarily would not have been tested uh, had we not gone through everything that we went through this past year. So I, I am grateful in some ways for everything that we've experienced because you can look around and see the upheaval politically. You can look around and see our economic situ- situation is just is, is just upside down right now. Our school systems are in disarray. Um, so many things are happening all over the nation right now. And we can either allow our mindset and we can either allow the stability of our joy to be determined by politicians and to be determined by the situations that we see around us, or we can choose joy. And I don't know about you, but I desire to choose joy. And understand when you choose joy, it doesn't mean that you take your hand off the plow. It doesn't mean that you necessarily pull away from everything. I think a lot of Christians enjoy uh, the subculture of the church because it gets them out of reality of what's happening in our culture. And, and, and while it's good to come and, and be a part of, of the people of God and, and worship together as we're called to do, when we leave the building, that's not the time where we just put our blinders up and act like there's nothing going on around us. That's the moment where we take everything that we've just been filled up with, and we go and we pour that out in the culture. And you and I are seeds everywhere we go. There's a harvest waiting for you and I to show up and plant the seeds so that we can produce, see great fruit produced in every territory and every space that you walk in. And, you know, we need it right now in our school systems. We need it in our political systems. We need it in our economy. We need the people of God to show up and move in great ways to turn this nation around. I mean, the whole nation right now is in upheaval. It's not just politically, it's everywhere, economically, socially. I mean, you can't even talk to people right now, uh, you know, about, about politics without people labeling you and calling you things and, and, you know, or maybe even disassociating themselves with you because no one can have a congenial conversation anymore. Because if you don't agree with everybody, you're branded, you're labeled, you're marked, you're outcasted. Uh, and it's just amazing to see the downgrade and the degeneration of, of a society happen, uh, especially within the, the last, you know, the last 10 months or so uh, since January. Our economy has tanked. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've, I've got a, uh, a, a large uh, truck with, with um, a large gas tank, and I have not enjoyed putting $140 of gas in that car, in that vehicle. And, um, you know, I, I, could, I could take some low gas prices and some ridiculous tweets about right now. I don't know about you, but <laughs> elections have consequences, and we are reaping the consequences of, of this past election. And as we turn around and, and look back at 2020, 2021, I'm believing for an incredible 2022. And, you know, many of you know that my wife is in the process right now of losing her job. And uh, I'm telling you right now that we've made a decision to choose joy, that we are not going to be persuaded. We're not going to be manipulated. We're not going to be uh, um, reconfigured in any other setting or any other way to cave on the standards that we believe we need to uphold as it relates to this vaccination. If you've been vaccinated, you have your convictions. You have your reasons for doing that. Just like those who are not vaccinated have their reasons for believing what they believe and they have standards and, and, and values that they are not willing to, to give up for a job. 
uh, it, it, you know, it's amazing because you'll, you'll see people in your, in your sphere who will say that we stand by you, we're supporting you, we encourage you, and they're talking to you about this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden they kind of fade away and they, they, they stop reaching out and they stop talking to you. And then you realize, ah, you caved on your values. You gave up. So now they realize they can't run with you anymore. So the only thing they know how to do is to separate themselves from you because they can't, they don't have the, 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 the emotional fortitude and stamina to say, hey, listen, you know, I, I ended up, you know, getting vaccinated after I said I wasn't going to, um, you know, because I really need a job. Well, I don't know about you, but I trust God enough that if, if we obey the conviction that he puts in our spirit and we, we honor the, this, the value system that he's put deep within our spirit, that he'll show up and move in a way only he can do. So right now, we feel like we're in a midnight hour, but you know the song, late in the midnight hour, God will turn it around. And I believe he's going to work in our favor. I believe he's going to do incredible things. So if that's your situation, I'm believing for you as well. And, I, and I'm so grateful for the doctors and the nurses and the police and, 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 and city uh, workers uh, throughout the nation that have, that have turned in their keys. They've turned in their badge. They've turned in their uniform. And they said, you know what? We're not going to be manipulated. We're not going to uh, you know, step over the line that we've drawn in the sand to say we're not getting vaccinated. And to think that we have, to, listen, to think that politicians truly care about your health care is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. If they really cared about your health care, we'd get rid of high fructose corn syrup. We'd get rid of BHT and all kinds of nasty preservatives. We'd get rid of all the dyes that are in food. There's a whole lot that would change if the government cared about your health care. But here's the, here's the difference. Eating well is healthcare, and this isn't this isn't a nutritional podcast. This is free. This is before I get to my notes. Eating well is nutritional. Uh, eat, eating well, rather, is healthcare. When you have to take medicine, that is in violation of the way in which our bodies are meant to respond. Having to take medicine, medicine is sick care. Eating well is healthcare. Medicine is sick care. If you are healthy and well. You do not need medicine. Your body is doing what it's meant to do right now. And I know that goes against, you know, government health officials, um, you know, and it goes against CEOs and, and, and all these other people who I truly believe have stock in like Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, which is why, you know, in addition to not wanting to lose their government contracts, they are mandating their employees, like my wife's employer, um, her company is, is mandating, even though she hasn't been face-to-face with people in two years, mandating she gets the vaccine because she's connected to the company that has government contracts. And when you look at some of these CEOs, you find out, oh, they have stocks in certain areas of healthcare, and I use that word loosely, healthcare, that are going to help pad their pockets if they can get all these employees to take these vaccines. And it's amazing to see the trickle-down effect of government. So while you pray for your government leaders and you pray for everything that's happening all over the nation right now, remember elections have consequences. And your freedoms are, are on the line right now. And whether or not we, we hold fast to the convictions and the values that we have in our life right now, whether or not we allow those governmental authorities to dictate our future is going to be up to us. I was on a phone call. I was uh, grateful to be on a phone call this week with Secret, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who essentially said, 
to the pastors, the, well, there was a few of us pastors on this call, and he said, listen, pastors, I need you guys to really employ your, your, your congregations to step out of the box, to really engage the culture in a way where we can take our freedoms back. Because I'm sorry, Democrats and those who have socialistic mindsets do not want to see the freedom of worship. They don't want to see the freedom uh, that, that we have in this nation to speak freely. This is what social media is doing right now. They're eliminating our ability to share freely based on opinion, based on freedom of thought. That's why all these fact checkers are happening. And all these, all these different things are happening on social media to, to make you get to think a certain way. They're trying to curve and manipulate your values and your morals. So in spite of all of that, I don't know about you, but I choose joy because that's what James 1 tells us to do. James 1, 21 says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, there's a lot of filthiness on social media, and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So the Bible is the word. So when you hear the word, we're talking about the word of God. We're not hearing the word from, from CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever news outlet you're listening to. He says, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So God saves you in three dimensions. God is, God is three in one. We are in the intellectual part of the country up here in New England, or so they say. I, I, I question that greatly. And, and they say we're in the intellectual part of the country with scholastic professors in the Ivy Leagues. But none of those people will ever equal three and one. None of those people will three ever equal one? But in God's math, it's not like man's math. Three equals one and one equals three. See, God is a trinity. That's not a biblical word, but a word we use to try and accommodate our understanding of God. Trinity meaning three and one, because God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. So he is one God. He told Israel, behold, the Lord your God is one, not three, but one God that I have three relationships with. He is God, and I know him as my heavenly Father. He is God, and is also the God that I know as Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He is God, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of me right now as my teacher, my guide, my helpmaker, allowing me and, and ordering me in my steps through every decision that I make. He's my peace giver, and he's my help. I'm just one Todd. My wife knows me as husband. My kids know me as father. Our church knows, knows me as pastor. One person, but different relationships, and I function in different capacities with different people. And so together we are made in God's image, and God allows us to function and operate in different capacities. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And man being made in God's image, humankind, we are a spirit, a soul, and a body. We see John 3.16, you know the scripture, for God so loved the world. Well, have you ever read the context of that? Jesus is here having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a religious teacher, and, and others around him didn't believe in Jesus, but he did. But he didn't want all of his peers to know about it, so he left the temple and went to see Jesus at nighttime. If you know this story, uh, it, it's pretty powerful. And he said, I believe you, but I need to know what I need to do to be saved. Jesus told him, you must be born again. Now, imagine in this time frame, and, and, and Jesus tells him, you, you must be born again. He was so confused and he even asked the question, how do I enter again into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You, you must be born of water, meaning baptized, and born of the Spirit. 
So when you're just accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you are a, you are a trinity, but one of them had to be deactivated by sin. That was your spirit man. And the moment you accept Jesus Christ, you have a God awareness the rest of your life because God blows breath into your spirit and all of a sudden you become alive unto God. You begin to discover what the kingdom is. You begin to discover the things in the kingdom that God wants you to run after and and the ways in which God wants you to live life. So God gave you and I a body. Why a body? God gave you and I world consciousness through our body. And, and, And I know, you know, I know whether or not as the seasons begin to change, whether or not I need to wear a jacket in this kind of weather because my body senses temperature on the surface of my skin. I walked outside the other morning to take my dogs outside and to use the restroom that morning and there was frost all over the ground and you could feel the temperature change. You could feel the difference. So not because the Spirit of God tells me to wear a coat, I can feel it on the surface of my skin. Some people get way too super spiritual and say, God told me to wear blue today. No, he didn't. God doesn't care about the color of, of the shirt or the, the jacket you wear. Or, you know, God told me to shave today. Come on. I know whether or not to touch a hot stove because I have a body and it tells me the stove is hot. I don't need to pray about touching the stove or not. When I touch something sharp through the reaction I experience with my fingers, it teaches me and tells me to be careful. My body tells me not to step out into oncoming traffic because There could be a bus coming at me or a car coming at me. I don't ask for divine intervention when a bus is heading towards me. So I have a world conscience because I have a body. Now that I've gotten saved and God has breathed into my spirit, man, now I'm fully functioning. Now because I'm born of my spirit, I know I have a God conscience. See, some have been comfortable walking around in certain atmospheres, but, but now you don't go into them anymore. And God, you know, God's going to a place that we call a check in your spirit. And all of a sudden you're aware of an opposing spirit. Some of you might be hanging around with, with, you know, Mr. or Mrs. No good. And now you're going back into that same circle and you're going to hear these people aren't going, you know, in the same places that you're going. And now it's difficult for you to remain in that circle. But see, prior to receiving Jesus, you didn't have that voice. You didn't have that awareness. You didn't have that consciousness. But you're going to have it now through the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk into a church building and feel a pull to begin to praise God, whether you like the song or not. Come on. So many people, I can't worship God because I don't like the songs. Well, you're not worshiping man. You're not worshiping the song. You're worshiping God. The song is to help us get into an atmosphere of worship. You, you, you can't expect your worship leader to cheerlead you into a place of worship. You need to be in a place of being able to give God worship, or as I call it, worthship, show him, showing God how worth, worthy he is through your worship. You need to already be in that space and in that place before you even walk through the doors of a church. Why? Because you have an awareness that God's in the building, and you can't let him come in and just you just stand there like he's never done anything for you before. You've got to respond and give him your clap, give him your song, give him your uplifted hands, because you are now aware of his presence, and that's a powerful thing to have. But then you have a soul, a mind, a will, emotions, intellect. That's your soulish realm, and that's your self-conscious consciousness. So you have a world awareness, you have a God awareness, but in your mind you have a self-awareness or a self-consciousness. And that's usually based on all of my experiences that I determine my value from. My self-awareness is where I'm aware of me, the me I'm not happy with, the me that's made mistakes, the me that's failed more than not, 
the me that had those spoken words over me. Those are, those are where those things hide. So James comes in and he says, he's not just a God that breathes on your spirit, but now he wants to take you to the second dimension. He's the God that wants to save your soul. He's the God that now we've been born of his spirit. He wants to move to your mind. Because your spirit has been made perfect before God, but you know what we spend most of our life doing? Trying to get our mind to catch up with our spirit. Trying to get our head to catch up with how valuable we really are. Trying to catch up with how much potential God really has given us. Trying to get our mind to catch up with the greatness of God that lives on the inside of us. Trying to get our head to catch up with the fact that we don't have to live a certain way. We don't have to live that old way, but that God has a whole new future for for all of us. Trying to get our mind to catch up with the fact that we aren't shackled by our mistakes, but we have a whole potential of a whole new future in faith. Our mind is always playing catch up. And if we look around us and we look through culture and we're watching the news and we're constantly bombarded with everything on social media, it begins to plague and root in our mind. And it's very difficult sometimes for us to be able to walk in the fullness of knowing what God has spoken over our life when we begin to look more in our natural eyes than we are with our spiritual eyes and with our spiritual ears. Our mind's always playing catch up. And he says it's the implanted word that is able to save your soul. So the word of God is able to catch up with what's already happened in your spirit. So my spirit has been saved. My mind is being saved. But the Bible says we don't get a new body until we get to heaven. So your body will be saved one day. So, so as we look at the, the, the am being, all right? So he says the implanted word actually sticks, all right? That's what that means. The implanted word actually means sticks. So it's the word that sticks, the word that's implanted, the word that roots. How much of what, what I talk about on this podcast today will you actually take home? How much of what you hear in a, in a, in a sermon will you actually take home? Because that's the word that changes you. How much of, of during your devotion time, in your, in your secret place with God, when God's revealing and, and opening up his word to you, how much of that really truly sticks? Because that's the stuff that changes you. The word that sticks is the word that changes you. It's not the word that sticks in me. It's the word that sticks in you. It's the implanted word of God that is able to bring about the change in your mind that has already happened in your spirit. It is the word of God that's able to catch your thinking up with what God has already done deep down inside of your heart. So we have to understand that, this, that the word of God is not a code of conduct by which I earn God's grace and salvation. That's not it. There are some people that believe that, but that's not it. That's religion. Religion defined is conforming to an outer code of conduct by which you earn God's good grace and salvation. That's not it. The word of God is a book that God gave me for my soul. God gave us this book for our soul because he understands that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23. So your is is always defined by your think. Your is is always defined by your think. Your is is always defined by your think. If my reality is defined by my thought life, if I truly want to bring change to my life, I don't need to put my hands on something. What I need to do is change my mind. Because if I change my mind, my mind will change the thing that I don't like. My mind will change the undesirable things in my life. Because whatever a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I understand that my thought life has a direct bearing on the reality that defines me. So many times, if we don't like our spouse, 
Come on, we want to change our spouse. If we don't like our job, we want to change jobs. We just want to move into another space. And while every one of those things might be necessary at certain times, it's not the starting place for change. Because if you leave your mind in the same place, you'll find another spouse. But guess what? It's going to be the same old scenery as you had with the previous spouse. You may be in another state with a brand new job, but you may be dealing with the same old problems because you'll be in another job, but getting fired for the same old stuff. I'm coming after somebody right now. So real change doesn't begin around me. It starts in my mind. So if I want my economy to change, it doesn't start at the bank. It starts in my head because you can take a millionaire and I've been in the room with them. I didn't say anything in the room because I'm not one of them yet. I'm believing one day I'm going to be, I believe I'm going to leave a a prosperous financial blessing to our children and to our grandchildren, but you can take everything, someone who's financially wealthy, you can take everything that they say and have a great takeaway from that and not know how to apply it. Or you can take everything that a millionaire has, take it away, and in 10 years, they'd be a millionaire again because they weren't a millionaire because everyone gave them things. They were a millionaire because of the way they think. I'm amazed at how they think. They understand that it doesn't begin with the resources to put in the bank. It begins in the mind. So happy is a mindset. Joy is a mindset. Happy people are not people where everything is going great. My wife's about to lose, lose, lose her job uh, within 30 days, and we don't know what we're going to do. She's holding steadfast, as I told you, but we are trusting God, and we're not losing our joy. In fact, some of the happiest people I'll ever, I, I've ever known would be battling hell on every side. So even in my life with what we have to go through, I choose to be happy. The past two years, we were attacked. We were, we were, uh, I was talked about. I was called all kinds of things. I was told that I was the worst shepherd in, in the world because I was putting all of our people at risk by having the church open during COVID and resisting the, the health department's mandates and the governor's uh, mandates and orders. And the fact that I was not giving up the rights and freedoms that we have in this nation to worship for the sake and the benefit of everybody's health and well-being. Listen. Though those, that season was stressful and though, uh, you know, pastors and leaders around the, around the state and around the region here did not truly support. I mean, there were some, but most did not support uh, the decisions that I was making to keep the church open. Let me tell you, God connected me with some incredible people around the nation. Some incredible doors opened up because of the stance that we took because of our willingness to say, you know, we're going to hold steadfast to the truth of the word of God, and we're not going to cave to the political pressure of a governor, of the health department, of the attorney general of our state. We were going to continue to run the race. So happiness is a choice you make in your mind. You choose to be happy regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances. You don't wait for everything and everybody to make you happy or for you to find agreement and alignment with everybody who's in your world, you say in the midst of the storm, I am making a choice that I will be happy despite what life is throwing at me. I will be a joyful, happy person because I've made a choice in my mind to live that way. And if you're surrounded by someone who gets mad at you for being happy with what you're going through, don't let them bring you down to their level. They don't have to carry the anointing you carry. They don't have to carry the weight that you carry. Keep pressing and choose to be happy. Ecclesiastes 7 says, sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Hear me. It starts in your mind. It starts in your head. It doesn't start because everything is going perfectly. Nobody ever, nobody would ever be happy. Happiness is a choice. 
well, pastor, I'm, 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 I'm searching for, you know, that perfect church that I can go to where I can be happy, man. If you're looking for a, a perfect choice, a perfect church, uh, that choice that you make by looking for a perfect cho- uh, church, you're going to be searching for the rest of your life. There is no perfect church. The church is made up of imperfect people. And every single one of you, you're under the authority of imperfect pastors. I am an imperfect pastor. So we keep being, people keep looking at the body of Christ and saying, well, that church isn't making me happy. That church isn't, isn't doing this and that church isn't doing that. It's not the church's responsible, responsibility to maintain joy for you. It's a decision and it will define your personal reality. Other, other people, you know, get irritated with you when you're smiling and you're going through stuff. You know, they can't figure out why you're always smiling. Why are you always willing to pray for somebody? How is it that, that you've got it all together? It's not that we've got it all together. It's because you've made a decision that your attitude is not going to be defined by your circumstances. But I will define my attitude through a choice that I make. I choose joy. And I've only got one life on this earth to live. And bless God, I don't know about you, but I choose to be happy. I choose to live in joy because when, when, when you have a job, be happy. When you're unemployed, be a happy unemployed person. Don't confuse happiness with laziness though. Come on, 2021 culture. Don't confuse happiness with laziness when someone is unemployed. It, it, it happens in your mind and the word is able to change and save your soul, but don't confuse the circumstances and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm unemployed. I'm going to, I'm going to milk the, you know, milk, uh, milk off the government now. And I'm going to, you know, stay here as long as I can. That that's not the laborer is worthy of his wages. Get out, get a job, find something that you're called to do. Find something that, that is able to provide for your future and get out and work it, work the ground. See, so many people think that they're stuck. I hear a lot, you know, and when I look on Instagram or Facebook, I can oftentimes see people post about their life going nowhere or it's being stuck. You know, it's stuck. It's at a standstill. Your life isn't stuck. Your mind is. And the way you move your life is to move your mind because wherever you go, your head has to go there first. Understand you can't outlive what you know. I can't live beyond the place that I'm aware of what I know. That's why we have to be continual students. You must be a student to raise your capacity to live a great life. And for the trajectory of my life to head in an upward direction, you have to keep growing. If you are the smartest person in your circle, find a new circle. It may feel good to be the smartest person in your circle. It may, it may feel good to be the smartest person in the room, but I can tell you one thing, you're not going to grow. When was the last time you sat down and read a book that would help you grow in your human capacity and expand the gifts of God in you? Where did your life stop? Your life stopped at the last thing you learned. Well, pastor, it's, it's, it's tough to change. It's hard to change. I know it is. So how long have you been in that house? How long have you been in that environment? How long were you in that community? How long were you told a certain thing? How long were you experiencing betrayal? How long did you experience abuse? It takes seconds for someone's mind to be warped or influenced into thinking a different way. That's exactly what's happening with social media. It's exactly what's happening in the news right now. All of those outlets are trying to warp your, your, your thinking and influence your decisions, influence your convictions, influence your morality. That's why people tell you there are no absolute truths. 
They don't want you to have absolute truths. If you have absolute truths and not everything is fluid, then you are going to have convictions that not everybody has. And in the culture's mind, especially in, in the political deception that's happening right now, and we see it trickle down all the way into our schools, which is why you have to fight against CRT. You have to fight against BLM. You have to fight against those indoctrinational things that have absolutely nothing to do with your children's education because if they can get your children young, they can change their value system. It doesn't matter what they say, what you say at home, they're in that public government educational system much longer than they are during the day at home. Because you know what? At home, most parents, after school gets out, they're still working. And then you got to go home and eat. And more than likely, you're not talking. You've got the TV going and you're watching the news or you're watching a movie or you're watching a TV show on your iPad in the kitchen or on your cell phone and you don't want to be bothered by your kids and you sit down and even at the dinner table now, we got our cell phones and our iPads and we don't even talk to each other anymore. We don't even realize the impact that government educational systems having on our children. So oftentimes parents will miss the degrading and the, and the, the devaluing of the morality and the truths that parents have, have, have been needing to implement and plant into their children's hearts and lives so that those lives can grow to bear fruit. And so people may be dying for change, but your mind is a pattern. And until you shake up that pattern, the change is impossible. The culture knows this. Why the church always has to play catch up is beyond me. And I believe that a lot of it is because your reality is directly related to your thinking. So because your mind has two functions, all right? It's your mind can remember and recall, and your mind has the ability to imagine. Your mind has been filled with every experience in your life, and you can relive it at any time you want to. Why? Because you are not where your body is, you're where your mind is. When David came to power and, and, and entered the palace as the king, he made a promise to Jonathan, his best friend. He told him anyone of, of his household that was left after the war that he would show them kindness. And, and they said there's, there's, there, uh, there is one named uh, Mephibosheth, but he had been cast out of the family. And the Bible says he was crippled in his legs since birth. And so he sent a servant to go get him. And you may know this story that, you know, they carry him back to the palace. And the Bible says there was a banquet table before him, but he stayed on the floor. And he said, why would you look on a dead, a dead dog such as I? Now they changed his geography, but he stayed on the floor. Get this. Why? He didn't see himself in a palace. He saw himself as a dead dog. So God can take you to a new place, but if you've got an old mind, you will sit there and starve at a banquet table while laying on the floor like a dead dog. You're not in the room you're in, you're where your mind is. You can relive it at any time you want to, and the problem oftentimes is many people, their memory bank is the size of a box while your imagination is the size of a universe. So we have this capacity to imagine a God who tells you he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ever ask or think or imagine. So God is waiting for you to imagine something so he can do it, so he can exceed it. But he can't get you out of the room of your memory and you stay stuck on what someone said, you stay stuck from what someone did, or you stay stuck in something that failed. And you've made yourself such a small room to live in while the years are flying by. What did you do over the past two years? Did you stay stuck in your home? Did you allow the government to dictate your joy? Did you allow politicians to, to have a greater impact on your future than God? 
So your body keeps getting older, but you're stuck inside that small box. And I'm telling you that before you, before, before you, this podcast is over and, and you go on to do everything else you're doing, if I can get you to elevate your faith and shift your imagination, there is a picture of your tomorrow so powerful that, that, that it can pull you out of the pain of your past. The choice is yours. Will you live in the memories of your past or create a tomorrow through your imagination? What are you going to choose to do? Because God took Moses to a mountain and showed him the tabernacle. See, you see, God pulled Israel out of Egypt. No military, no, no economy, no laws, no judicial system, nothing. Over 3 million people in the desert. God, there has to be water. There has to be warmth. There has to be air conditioner, air conditioning. God has to be all of that for them. And God said for this tabernacle to be built so that he can have a place to meet with them, because God wants to be with his people so badly, he said the first order of business is, I'll take care of the food and the drink. Just build me a place where I can meet with you. And so he took Moses on the mountain and shows Moses a picture of the tabernacle. And then when he gets down the mountain, God tells him to build what he showed him on the mountain. Get this. It's not just going to happen just because you envisioned it. It's going to happen when you begin to put effort behind that which God has shown you. Because God was like, you remember what I showed you? Now build what I showed you. I ought to be able to look at somebody's life. I ought to be able to look at what you're building in your life and know exactly where you are headed. I should be able to see your daily decisions and you don't have to say anything about your life, but I should be able to see your decisions and know if your goal is set to get out of debt. Come on. Some people pay Discover, MasterCard, and Visa and American Express more than they actually tithe because they're that much in debt. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. So if you want to get out of debt, quit using the, 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 the credit cards. You cannot manage money properly, properly when you're owing more than you're actually spending. Maybe our government should learn a little bit of those simple uh, principles as well. Because the Bible says faith without works is dead. What that actually means is having a vision without a corresponding action. So listen, folks, I know, I know there's a lot going on in our culture saying just have hope, have hope, have hope. Hope is not a strategy. Well, pastor, I'm hoping for, no, 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 that's not a strategy. When I moved here in 2016 to, uh, to, to quote my friend Charlie Kirk, the godless, soulless state of Vermont, um, I, when I moved here in 2016 with my family, we began to build what God was already showing us in our spirit. And now we have a congregation who's a part of what God was beginning to, to, to bring up and show us in our spirit. And listen, you should see what I'm seeing next. I'm building what God shows me because it's not just about a church, but I believe it's about a region and a generation that turns around and begins to go back after the heart of God. I believe that instead of always talking about Azusa Street, let the eyes of the nation look to New England and say, what is this great thing that I hear God is doing in Vermont? What is this great thing that we'll hear about God doing in your city or your state or in your church? You don't see, you know, I don't, I don't see a building full once a week. You don't see a building, you know, being filled just once or twice a week. I see a building full four, five more times a week where people are waiting in lines to get inside because there are signs and wonders and miracles of heaven beginning to happen. You may not be able to see it, but see, I get up every morning and start building it in my spirit. Why? Because what I see has ignited my life to go out and pursue it. You've got to build something. 
If you are constantly plotting through life, you are going to be frustrated, not just with the the plotters in your circle, but you're also going to be frustrated with the people who are not like you. And oftentimes plotters will see people who are advancing in their calling and they're, they're being thrust into their purpose and they say, well, they're prideful and arrogant and boastful. No, it's just they have a vision to go after what God has called them to go after and they're not allowing the politics, they're not allowing the culture, they're not allowing the school system, they're not allowing the economic situation to determine whether or not they choose joy. They choose joy in spite of it all. This is why Matthew 6 verse 22 says, the eye of the lamp, the eye rather is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole, your whole body will be full of light. Man, that's powerful. Whatever you see, you are consumed with. So if your eye can be single or clear, we're talking about focus, okay? Because focus eliminates distraction. But listen now, focus can wear you out. But if you can focus, you can become very powerful. If your eye be single or clear, if you can stay focused, you will be consumed with what you're focused on. Because focus makes things grow. Whatever you focus on grows. Whatever you ignore always diminishes. Listen, if, 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 I was, if, I, if I was your devil, I wouldn't try to defeat you. I would just try to distract you. James 1.6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything. Not, not just some things. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jesus said, if your eyes be single. But he said, the one who is distracted or double-minded, see, he's, con- he's contrasting doubting and faith. You cannot have both turned on at the same time. That man is double-minded and should not ever think they will ever receive anything from the Lord, and they are unstable in all their ways. Those people make me nervous. I got to be honest with you. Double-minded, unstable people, people who are bouncing off the walls, they act like they're schizophrenic in their thinking, and they act like they're schizophrenic in in their conversation. Those people make me nervous. Those people where I don't know who is going to show up from day to day or what you're going to do based on what environment you're in or how you feel. In one group, they act one way. In another group, they act completely different. He says those kinds of people, they will never be able to receive because they lack the ability to focus. That's why he says, if your eye be clear. So if I can imagine the life I can believe for, in other words, if you're sick, can you see yourself healed? If you are in lack, can you see yourself in a place of overflow? If you are bound, can you see yourself free? You've got to be able to see it, but you can't see it once you arrive. You have to see it so you can arrive. You've got to see it before you get there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You've got to see financial breakthrough when you can't even buy a pack of gum in in the grocery store. So when you can imagine it, then that gives you the passion to pursue it. Because the Bible says the woman with the issue of blood who was hemorrhaging, uh, was in a weakened state because of the blood loss. The Bible says that she said within herself, she had the faith to believe that if I can just touch the hem, not touch Jesus, didn't even need a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be whole. She said, I can put an end to all of this. 
But she saw it play out, and the Bible says that he was being bombarded by people, surrounded by people, and Jesus, you know, the, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, yo, what do you mean, who touched you, Jesus? You got all kinds of people all around you. You got people pulling at you from every side. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, no. Someone touched me with faith. And he looked down and he said, daughter, it's your faith that has made you well. And she got healed because she saw something. Her faith was made whole. Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house. And this woman just so happened to be along the same road. Just so happened. Don't you love it when, you know, people call it coincidence and you've got faith and you can turn around and say, there was no coincidence. A coincidence, God set me up. See, there was a lot of people around him, but somebody who came to him saw something. And the one who comes to me who sees something, Jesus says, is the one who gets something. You can come to church for 50 years, but if you never see something, you're never going to get anything. But I know there's somebody listening right now that sees a you that's better than the you that's living right now. And remember, it's your mouth that tells your mind what to believe. The word meditation means to say something over and over and over again in a quiet voice. Don't let the word meditation, again, be captured by Eastern religion. Don't let the culture pervert what God meant in his word when he talks about meditate on the word. That means to say something over and over and over in a a quiet voice. And she said within herself, I don't have to live like this if I can just get to Jesus. And it gave her the passion in a weakened state to move every person she needed to move to touch him. The power of pursuit and passion comes when you see something. People who talk to me and they say they have no passion or energy. And when they get around me, say, oh, Pastor Todd, you just exhaust me. You got, you got so much passion, so much energy. You exhaust me. The difference is I'm living with sight, but their eyes are often covered. Pastor Todd, how do, you, how do you have the energy to do everything that you do? Because God's given me a vision. He's given me direction. He's given me a passionate pursuit towards everything he's put in front of me. God is bringing people into my life now and, and with their foot in my back that are helping push me toward a greater season. Because, you know, you, you've got to get out of the, the circle where you run the circle. You've got to get inside of a circle where there are people with greater insight, greater intuition, greater knowledge who can put their foot against the back of your purpose and push you into a greater dimension. Because of what I'm holding in my heart, you know, I'm going to feel energized and passionately uh, um, um, aware to pursue God's calling in a way I never have before. So the power to go after it came after she had convinced herself it could actually take place. Listen, your problems are as big or as small as you make it. This woman has been dealing with hemorrhages most of her life, and she had enough of it. The power to go after it came after she had convinced herself this could happen. Ahab, you know, Elijah's a bad boy. I mean, he's not, he's not a pushover. He's a bad dude. Ahab is a king leading God's people in Baal worship, and God raises up Elijah to confront it. And I believe right now in 2021, there's a lot of Elijahs that God is calling to confront a godless nation, a godless government. So Elijah walks into the king's chambers and says, until you fix all of this Baal worship, it isn't going to rain. Until I, Elijah, say it's going to rain. Elijah was a prophet now, okay? So in in 1 Kings 18, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and and crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. 
And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing coming. And he said, go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. Folks, there is a cloud the size of a, of a hand. And he's telling the king to get a head start because the forecast is telling me heavy rain is on the way. How big is the cloud? It's as big as Elijah sees it. To everyone else, it was small, but to Elijah, it was massive. They saw a cloud-sized hand. Elijah said, I hear abundance. I hear a cloud. I see the cloud about the size of a man's hand, but I can hear the abundance of rain. Israel is crying in fear because they see a big sea, a sea in front of them, chariots behind them. They start crying in fear. Moses stands back and says, watch and see the salvation of the Lord. The sea parts and they cross on dry ground. Elijah made the small cloud big. Moses made the big sea small. I'm asking you today in 2021, how do you define it in your life? We're about to go into 2022 and it's not going to look any different than 2021 unless you determine in your mind that you choose joy, that you will choose a path that God's destined for your future, that he will pull the greatness out of you that he's put inside of it. Stop waiting for the permission of some politician or some dictator-like president to give you permission to step out and go do what you've been called to do. God's given you a spiritual fortitude. He's given you a discernment by way of his Holy Spirit. He's given you a Christ-like mind. You've got to renew that mind every single day, especially with everything that's coming at us in culture right now. So I want to encourage you to, to wake up in the morning and say, hey, I choose joy today. I choose passion. I choose the vision of God's preferred future for my tomorrow. I'm running after that. What are you running after today? What are you going after today? This is a moment where God has been separating the wheat and the chaff. He's been separating the faith from the faithless. He's been separating those who who have a vision and those who are walking in doubt. So I challenge you today, as, as I've determined, I'm gonna choose joy. I love you. I thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Ignite Church VT. You can connect with me on Twitter and on Instagram, Pastor Todd Callahan. You can connect with us online through our website, ignitechurchvt.com. You can sow into this ministry. You can sow into this podcast if it's being a blessing to you. I love you. Thank you for everything that you're doing all across the nation, in your sphere of influence, in your circle. Let God use you in a mighty and powerful way. Go and be salt and light and change the world. I love you, and I'll see you on the next episode of Shadow Peak.